What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, the weekly NBA show over at Slab Socks. I'm your host, Sam. Please follow us on Instagram at Slab Socks. Also here on YouTube, click that little red subscribe button down at the bottom of the page and be sure to tell all your friends about us so that they can follow along as well. Big exciting news over here at Slab Socks over the weekend. I've been dying to tell you for several months now. Finally, the day has come. If you missed the announcement over the weekend, we are building and launching in summer 2020. Yes, that's the summer we're currently in. An all-in-one sports card trading platform that features analytics, trends, and buy and sell capabilities. You will also have the opportunity to upload your portfolio and track its performance live based off of eBay sales. You'll have all those little price charts that I know so many of you like. It's gonna have it all. If it misses something, we're gonna work hard to add it. The best part of all of it, it is free. I know you like that. We like that aspect as well. We also don't like paying for things and we really didn't want anyone to miss out on this due to the price. I really do think this is going to revolutionize the card market. So please go and subscribe, get to the ground floor. Just navigate over to slabstocks.com backslash slabstocks, scroll to the bottom of the page, enter your name and email and click that little box that says subscribe and then you are registered. Also, we are giving away this Zion Williamson Prism Rookie Card BGS 9.5. Aaron, I want you to put it in my hand here. Just a fun little giveaway for you guys. All you have to do is go to the website and subscribe. You'll automatically be entered. I also entered and Aaron told me I was ineligible to win. So here is hoping that someone who watches Sam Dunks will win instead. Okay, the last couple of months, we've gone over the 2019, 2018, 2017 NBA drafts. Today we are starting in 2016. Gonna do it a little bit different because there's just a huge jump from year three players to year four players. Half the guys that we talked about in the past couple of months are gonna be old news by year four and especially year five. That's already happened with a lot of players in this draft. So this week, I'm not following any order in particular. Instead, I'm just gonna talk about three players and you can probably guess who they are. In this order today, we are discussing Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, and Pascal Siakam. Next week, I will take up the rest of the interesting players in the draft, probably another six or seven maybe players next week. Uh, just to get this out of the way, I do believe all three players today are buys, not because I can say for certain that they're undervalued, but because I think the career trajectory for all of them is very encouraging. Uh, not all buys are created equal, though. If I had to choose a buy, sell, hold for these three, I guess I would maybe be buy Simmons, sell Siakam, hold Ingram, and the decision on the latter two is pretty much just due to age, but I'm not restricted to choosing one over the other, so buy on all three. By the way, my apologies for the sound quality. Last week, someone mentioned in the YouTube comments that it sounded like I was talking into a Pringles can, which cracked me up, and I agree, it did. Uh, I recorded my audio with a pretty high quality audio recorder. Of course, you need an SD card in it to actually record, and I forgot it. Uh, it's in there today, so hopefully it should be better. And it is. Without further ado, with the first pick in the 2016 NBA Draft, uh, there was a little debate about it at the time, but I think it was the right choice. Out of LSU, Ben Simmons. Native Australian, shout out to our Australian followers. Thanks for following. Uh, obviously, the common refrain with Ben Simmons is regarding the shooting. He can't shoot, he doesn't shoot, he won't shoot. I don't know if he'll ever shoot. I don't want to belabor the point because I am a Bucks fan and it seems like everything we hear about Giannis is either about his shooting or about these ridiculous trade proposals to the Warriors for Andrew Wiggins and spare change. So, Sixers fans, if you don't want to hear about his shooting, don't exit out of the video or skip forward. We are done talking about it. 
But first, I want you to look at this hilarious shot chart that Kirk Goldsberry posted back in February. I love that. A point guard that plays like a center? Hey, know your strengths and play to them. That's exactly what Ben Simmons does. Shooting out of the way, I promise. This guy does literally everything else well. He's one of the best two-way playmakers in the league. Looking at some of the catch-all metrics, by PIPM, he's ranked 40th in the league with positive contributions on both sides of the ball. He was ranked 18th according to win shares, 17th according to value over replacement player, VORP, 19th in, in box plus minus. So overall, pretty good. Unlike Simmons, let's take a step back, see what I did there, uh, and look at his overall numbers. In 36 minutes per game, he averaged 17 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists, and 2 steals with an elite sh true shooting percentage of 608. All really, really good stuff. Uh, the 17 points isn't all that overwhelming, but when Embiid was injured for most of January, Simmons' counting stats rose up to 22 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, and 2 steals. And that starts to tell part of the story when it comes to Ben Simmons. A lot of the time, the question revolves around, can Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons coexist? And I've raised that question many times myself. I think it's fair to say that they might not be super good friends or anything like that. That's based on numerous accounts. But that's really neither here nor there. They both tend to play a little bit better in each other's absence, but that's also what happens on any team when one of the best players goes out. Someone else needs to make up for all those lost stats. Both of them are best at the rim. Simmons shoots 68% in the restricted area, which is at least twice what he puts up anywhere else on the court. And Embiid shoots 69% in the restricted area. For their team to be successful, they both basically need to be at the rim. It's not necessarily a death sentence, though, that they both need to occupy the same space. It just makes things a little bit more tricky to navigate for the 76ers franchise. Now, if we look at the Embiid-Simmons combination, two years ago, during Simmons' rookie season, they were an elite combo. In 1,306 minutes, the tandem featured an elite offensive rating of 113.3 and a super elite defensive rating of 97.8, resulting in a net rating of 15.5 in the minutes that they shared on the court. Last year was still good, though not as elite. 112.8 offense, 104.9 defense, net rating of 7.9. That was over 1,431 minutes. Still really, really good. This year, 789 minutes. Net rating dropped to a dismal 0.9 with a 104.4 offense and a 103.5 defensive rating. Really not very good. So what happened? The biggest problem for the Sixers this past year was simply the roster construction. You know, ever since Sam Hinkie was ousted in Philadelphia, the Sixers have gone through dramatic roster changes each and every single season. The Sixers have a unique front office situation in that when they hired Elton Brand to be their general manager, they hired him as a GM who wouldn't have final say in roster construction. Over the past few years, all of the decisions have reportedly been left up to a group decision, which could have some strengths, but it also tends to just lead to a lot of confusion and a lack of a cohesive vision. Obviously, I am not in the offices to hear the conversations, so I really don't know what works behind the doors of the Sixers brass, but everything I've heard and everything I've read says that it's kind of chaotic behind the scenes. There's no one person in charge, and because of that, the Sixers are a bit of a mess. We saw that all year. We saw that most visibly this past offseason when the Sixers signed a 33-year-old Al Horford to a four-year, $109 million contract. I really like Al Horford as a player. He's the type of guy that generally makes any team he's on better simply because he does all of the little things. But when he's lined up next to Embiid and Simmons, it just was really, really ugly. 
In 429 minutes when those three shared the court, the 76ers ran a net rating of negative 0.9, sporting an offensive rating of 98.8 and a defensive rating of 99.6. The defense is nice, but the offense is dismal. What the Sixers need for Simmons to be ultra successful, and especially for an Embiid-Simmons pairing to be ultra successful moving forward, is not necessarily for Simmons to start shooting, but for there to be elite shooting around the perimeter surrounding these two. Instead, this season, the Sixers had the 14th ranked three-point shooting team in the league by three-point percentage, but they only attempted the 22nd most three-pointers on the season. Furkan Korkmaz and Tobias Harris were the only regulars shooting above 36% from deep. Compare that to, say, the Bucks, who attempted the fourth most threes in the league and had George Hill, Chris Middleton, Kyle Korver, Ursan Eliasova, and Wesley Matthews that all shot above 36% from deep. And there are other players on that roster that are there because they can live on the perimeter on offense. I only make that comparison because the Bucks have built this type of team out of necessity to fill out a championship contending roster around Giannis Antetokounmpo. And that's the blueprint for the 76ers. If the Sixers are going to find that top of the conference success, it's going to be by filling the roster with cheap shooting. Instead, starting next year, they have $120 million tied up between Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons. It's going to be tough sledding for this front office moving forward. If the Sixers can move some things around, and build this team in the mold of John Horst's work with the Bucks, they would be an extremely tough out in the playoffs. Even with a team that only made the 22nd most threes in the league, Ben Simmons still led all of basketball with 221 assists on three-pointers. That's nearly 50 more than Giannis had on an elite shooting team. In other words, give Ben Simmons the personnel, he can absolutely lead a true championship contender. He has the gravity as a playmaker to really open things up for all of his teammates. And let me just ask you this. Which is more difficult to find in the NBA? To drain a catch-and-shoot three-pointer or to create a catch-and-shoot three-point opportunity? The NBA is loaded with the former, with guys that can be had on minimum contracts that can, can catch, a shot, catch a ball and shoot a three. But the guys that can do the latter, they are considered to be the best players in the entire league. And that's who Ben Simmons can be. As a fan of the Bucks, I'm rooting against the Sixers to figure out their, I don't want them to fix their, figure out the roster construction issues, but as a fan of the NBA, I really hope they fix the roster in spots three through seven by filling it with shooters. That's the mold of LeBron teams for the past decade. That's the mold of Giannis's Bucks teams. That's the mold that Simmons can carry into that upper echelon as a perennial championship contender. I really do believe that. This is all a super in-depth way to say something that I already said at the beginning. Simmons is a buy. Uh, the last three auctions on his PSA 10 Prism Silver Rookie cards took place at the end of May. They ended at an average purchase price of about $920. Since that time, we've seen three of the same cards go on best offers at $1,000, $1,075, and $1,225. Uh, $1,225 being the most recent sale on June 15th. I don't like to talk in terms of undervalued or overvalued. I think the market determines the value, so it just is what it is. But I do believe Simmons is one of those rare players that can be a catalyst of a really dominant contender for a decade or longer. And for that reason, he's a buy. Now, there are some hurdles that the Sixers are going to have to overcome before they get there. But they have the biggest pieces already in Simmons and Embiid. So all they need to do is figure out the rest. That will take some doing, obviously. But that's what they're paid to do. So I like to think that they'll be able to do it. 
All right, moving on with the next pick in the 2016 NBA Draft, selected by the Los Angeles Lakers, currently with the New Orleans Pelicans, Brandon Ingram. Here's a guy that really exploded onto the scene at the Nike Hoop Summit uh, that really started to get him in the conversations that NBA front offices were having behind the scenes. Really super skinny coming into the draft, but still obviously loaded with offensive talent. When he was drafted, those dreaded player comparisons kept coming up for him, uh, comparing him to Kevin Durant. And for that reason, it was pretty much a disappointment in Los Angeles. He moves out to New Orleans. He gets a new lease on life. And it's really on the basis of this one season that he's even in the conversation that we're having in this video today. Looking at his per 36 minute averages, he improved season over season through his thir first three years, but all told his career averages after three seasons per 36 minutes were 16 points, five rebounds, three assists, shooting 33% from, from deep on only two to three point attempts per game. That's largely fine, just not what you're looking for when you think you're drafting the next Kevin Durant. That all changed this year in his first season with the Pelicans, where per 36 minutes, he averaged 25 and a half points, six rebounds, five assists, just over a steal per game, while jacking up seven threes per game at 39% clip. And that's all really incredible, especially considering the leap from year three to year four. In fact, the shooting improvement is pretty much unprecedented, I think. Uh, to go from a bad shooter to an excellent volume three-point shooter, that doesn't really happen, but that's exactly what Ingram did this past season. Not only did the three-point shooting increase dramatically, but the free throw shooting also increased from 68% last year to 86% this year. The only other player that immediately comes to mind is one that had some dramatic improvement in his shooting the, from, this, from two years ago to this past year was his teammate Lonzo Ball. Maybe that's a coincidence that they're all working with the same coaches. Maybe it's not. I tend to think it's not. So, the track record is shorter with Ingram than it is with Simmons, and even with Siakam, but he was very, very good, and this allows us to all start dreaming on him once more. I said before that if I had a pick, I would hold Ingram and I would cut Siakam, and that's simply because Ingram played this past season as a 22-year-old, and he's still 22 today, whereas Siakam played at 25 and today is 26. If I had to guess, I would say that in three years, Ingram's 25-year-old season will look better than what Siakam was doing this year. But I still really like them both. I'm not cutting or selling either of them. They're both buys. Diving a little bit deeper, Ingram was top 50 in the league in PER, VORP, box plus minus, and win shares. Only a net rating of negative 0.3 though, which stinks, and an on-off net differential of 1.4, which is just okay. The biggest part of the reason for some of these more lackluster positions in the big picture metrics is that he's just not very good defensively. But there are good enough defenders around him in New Orleans that it really shouldn't matter all that much. All of Zion Williamson, Derek Favors, Drew Holiday, and Lonzo Ball are all strong defenders. If you look at the 10 most used three-man lineups featuring Brandon Ingram, five of them are net positives. Five are big net negatives, but four of those negative lineups also feature J.J. Redick, and the other features Josh Hart, who are both weak defenders. Ingram doesn't have the capabilities to mop up their defensive miscues, and so he also struggled with them on the court. But looking at the most used full lineup featuring Holiday, Favors, Ingram, Lonzo, and Zion, in 230 minutes, they sported a net rating of 26.3. That's the backbone of the team moving forward, at least into next year. So I'm not super concerned with some of the bad looks that Ingram's lack of defense creates. The team is still good. Now, so much of this analysis 
is purely contextual. Zion Williamson just covers a multitude of flaws around the roster. I don't think Ingram is a perfect player by far. He might not be the type of guy that could carry a team by himself, but we also might not find out any more about that question for another five years or so. And in the meantime, he should be the second leading scorer on a very good New Orleans team that should be appearing on national te television 25 to 30 times per season. If the Pelicans can make the playoffs next year, and if Ingram makes his second all-star team as a 24-year-old, this is just the very beginning of Ingram's career trajectory. Ingram is a restricted free agent this offseason, and if he were to sign elsewhere, the outlook might not be as rosy. I could envision a scenario where he becomes a big stats guy on a mediocre team and we sort of move on from him collectively. But with Zion on a rookie deal, I think the Pelicans have all the incentive in the world to lock Ingram and the rest of the team around Zion in before Zion's deal is due. So I imagine that the Pelicans will be matching any offer sheet that is signed by Brandon Ingram. Questions to keep in mind are if Ingram and Zion will be able to fit super well long-term alongside one another. I think that's still an open question and one that we'll have to be paying attention to over the next couple of years. The other question is if Ingram's shooting can maintain its current level. But I kind of believe that it will happen, but these are two things that we'll need to keep on monitoring. Buy It Now's on Ingram's PSA 10 Prism Silver Rookie cards have been going in the $620 range in the month of June. I think due to the team that he's on and his place as a leading scorer on that team, he's still a buy. I also think there's a chance that he might be declared most improved player of the league. And while I don't think that that will just make his cards automatically jump up, it might open up some eyes to his 2019 that previously hadn't paid much attention to it. And I do believe that there are some very exciting years coming up for the Pelicans. I believe that Ingram is going to be a pretty big part of that. And for that reason, he's a buy. Last up for consideration, jumping down 25 spots to the 27th pick in the 2016 NBA Draft to Toronto, Pascal Siakam. Uh, after two pretty nondescript years with the Raptors, Siakam really jumped onto the scene in his third season. He put together a 17.7 rebound, three assist, one steal campaign, shot 37% from deep on the way to an NBA championship and most improved player award. The big question coming into this season was whether he'd be able to do any of that in Kawhi's absence. Well, he ended up just taking another pretty big jump, ending with 24 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 1 steal, 1 block, shot 36% from deep on 6 attempts per game. Pretty much nothing to complain about there at all, and pretty dang good for the former 27th overall pick that was considered a defense-only player. He's pretty clearly a top 20 to 25 player in the league, in my opinion. Probably one of the guys that gets overlooked the most. Sam Vicenni wrote on The Athletic about his offensive versatility recently, and I wanted to share that with you. I thought it was really astute. Uh, he shared that 19% of Siakam's possessions come in transition, 19% in isolation, 15% in post-up, 14% in pick-and-roll as the ball handler, and 13% out of spot-ups. Pretty much every other top player that you can find has one or two of these categories that are the overwhelming majority, but Siakam is useful in almost any situation. Defensively, he's just as versatile. He spent 53% of his minutes covering forwards this year, another 37% of the time covering guards, and the last 10% covering centers. He's just all over the place on defense. Versatility on offense, versatility on defense, an absolute dream for a coach. And a big part of his defensive acumen is as a weak side rim protector in the same mold as Giannis. Bring the ball anywhere near him, there's a good chance he steps up to make a play on you. He is in a lot of highlights. 
And the versatility shows too. By on-off differential, Siakam is a pretty big positive, a plus 6.6 with the Raptors being both better both offensively and defensively when he's on the court than when he's off. He's a true two-way star. He might, just might, sneak into an all-NBA team this season. Might not. I think if he hadn't missed those 11 games around the new year, he would have absolutely made one of the teams, but with the season only being 53 games so far, that's just over 20% for the season that he missed. But if he doesn't make it this year, I think he makes it on next year for the first time. So what's next for Siakam? Probably all good things. Great GM, great coach, great team. I don't believe any of that's going to be changing in the near future. This all gives him a ton of cushion for us as an investment. If we see some moderate gains in scoring, 25 points per game seems very achievable, but the next big improvement for him is going to come in the playmaking for his teammates. The assists this season were exactly 3.6 per game. That's up from 3.1 last year and two the year before that. Very rarely do the best players in the league start as assist mavens from the jump. Seeing that incremental improvement implies that more is likely to come, and I believe that Siakam and the coaching staff understand that he could improve on his playmaking. And for reference, Kawhi just broke the four-assist threshold this past season for the first time. Kevin Durant took until year six, Jimmy Butler until year five. So Siakam's doing fine in, fine in that regard. It would not be a shock to me at all if Siakam averages 25 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal, a block, makes his second All-Star team, his first All-NBA team next year. And if that's the case, and if that's what we're looking for over the next two or three years, along with a few more trips to the Eastern Conference Finals along the way, I think he's pretty clearly a buy. His PSA 10 Prism Silver Rookie cards have been going on buy it now is lately a little over $900 on average. Considering the good situation, the growth as a player, the expected growth, and the good NBA market that he plays in, I don't see very much downside for Siakam. I do not hesitate to recommend him as a buy, and we'll just hope that he takes another little leap this coming season. All right, that is all the time I have for today. Again, please be sure to navigate to slabstocks.com backslash slabstocks. Register for our new platform that's coming out, I promise. It will be beneficial to you because that is our goal. Uh, be sure to continue this conversation in the comments, either here or on Instagram, and feel free to shoot me a DM if you have any thoughts. All right, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.